si me lleva candanga. Black people are affirming their blackness and have always known that they are black, but also the very real issues that come along with identifying that way. Um, and so I think while we see that visibility, there's still far much more to go. Welcome to Estoy Aquí. We are your hosts, Catherine Castro and Catherine Borgen, Guerreras de Cultura de Injusticia, bringing you your bi weekly dose of spice. Hey, B, so it's our third episode. Woo woo! And ow, ow. <laughs> I feel like we should give our listeners a little more insight about us. How have you been? I've been great, dude. Um, just, you know, recovering from post-election trauma. Mm. Florida almost had it. Florida almost oh, had it. Uh, mm, I know. Mm. I had a great weekend, actually. Um, my roommates and I hosted an art party last weekend. Um, our house basically became a space for POC to express themselves and reflect on art through healing. It was really refreshing. That's Awesome. Um, actually, speaking of, I recently spoke with uh, Janelle Martinez, who is an Afro-Latinx who is using her craft of writing to create this platform for Afro-Latinx community. Let's get a little bit into that. So I'm an entrepreneur and particularly um, a multimedia journalist. So I write a lot currently for... Um, several publications from like Remezcla and Essence um, to like Oprah Mag and, um, you know, Me Too amongst other outlets. Um, but a lot of how I got into writing about culture and identity, particularly through the lens of Afro-Latinidad and more specifically Afro-Latinas is um, from my website, Ain't I Latina. So I started the site um, in December of 2013, so we're actually approaching um, the five-year benchmark since the site awesome. um, went live. Yeah, and so for me, it was really starting the site because at a time when I was in media, you know, I just didn't see our narratives represented in the way that um, reflected the women that I encountered regularly. So it's not to say that they weren't, there wasn't slight visibility amongst our people, but we do know that media dictates a lot of what mm-hmm. we view things at, right? And what we exactly. see in, I wasn't seeing, um, at least on a mainstream level, um, our stories and not just about like identity, because I do know that's like a big thing like a big conversation mm-hmm. point, but also just like, what is a dope woman that is an entrepreneur? What is she doing? And she just so happens to be Afro-Latina, right? So there is there aren't even those stories. Most times it's fixated under the lens of like, oh, you're Afro-Latina and this is what that means. And, and not to say that um, at that time that wasn't viable or a, a important conversation, but there's just so many different narratives that exist. And so for me, it was just kind of putting out content that I knew resonated with me and based off of conversations that I had with friends and family resonated with them. And it just kind of grew from there. 
Wow, she's so impressive. I'm extremely inspired. I'm curious to hear more about her writing and her advocacy. So, Kelly, for our listeners, what exactly is Afro-Latinidad? According to Wikipedia, Afro-Latinidad is a collective cultural identity of Latinos and Latinas of full or partial African descent. There are an established 200 million African descendants in 19 Latin American countries, and Afro-Latinidad celebrates the cultural similarities among many African Latinos in Latin America. All in all, Afro-Latinidad is born from mixing different African, North, South, and Central Latin American and Indigenous American cultures. A survey conducted by the Pew Research Center states that a quarter of all Latinx people in the United States consider themselves to be Afro-Latino, Afro-Caribbean, or of African descent with roots in Latin America. That's a quarter of all Latinx people, just in the United States, B. That is a lot of people. What's the math there? (laughs) Of course you would ask. Uh, The math is a quarter of 35 million, which makes it almost 9 million people. You know, when we talk about Latinidad, like it incorporates so many different racial groups and like just it's not monolithic. And I think that's one reason why people kind of get fixated on like oh like like when you know if i introduce myself as like a latina people are like oh like how is that how is that the case or are you half and half of this and mm-hmm. it just becomes a totally bigger conversation but like <laughs> yeah. i think that's the first thing is like people let's be real like there is you know for people you know with resources should understand that the transatlantic slave trade happened and the majority mm-hmm. of slaves ended up in Latin America. Like, yeah. the fact, um, even when we talk about like the Asian community within, um, our, you know, within Latinidad, like Peru, you know, like, yeah, are like, you know what I'm saying? There's just so many different groups that encompass Latinidad. According to the United Nations, there are about 150 million Afro-descendants in Latin America. How are Afro-Latinx people expected or seen as uh, homogenous if they come from so many different countries and backgrounds? That's almost like saying all Europeans are the same. You know, I've never really heard anyone put it that way, but I think that's a great analogy. Yeah, this sparked my curiosity, and I found this really informative PBS documentary. It's called Being Black in Latin America. It covered countries such as Dominican Republic and Haiti, framing it as the birthplace of the Black experience in the Americas. It also covers countries such as Peru and Mexico as the Black grandma in the closet. Uh, What do you mean by Black grandma in the closet? Afro-Latinx in Peru and and Mexico tend to push away or put away their Afro roots and tend to consider themselves either mulato or moreno instead of Afro-Latinx. I can see. Yeah, I remember like hearing that term growing up a lot in Miami, like, oh, I'm mulato or she's mulata or who's that moreno over there that you're dating? Like, yeah. But I think for our listeners who aren't familiar with these terms, can you give us some context on what being a mulato means? So mulato is a term used to refer to people born of one white parent and one black parent or from two mulato parents. So in essence, this terminology kind of erases or dilutes the Afro roots and the Afro identity. 
Kathy, I'm interested in learning more about the documentary you mentioned, particularly with some historical context. Yeah, definitely. So here's a bit of insight, just to quickly compare uh, Afro-Latinx in Latin America and the Caribbean to the United States. There were 11.2 million Africans that we can count who survived the Middle Passage and landed in the Americas. And of that 11.2 million, only 450,000 of them came to the United States. All what? Yeah, dude. All the rest of them went south of Miami. So they ended up in Latin America and the Caribbean. That's crazy. So about 10.5 million Africans forcibly migrated to Latin America and the Caribbean during this time. That's an astronomical figure. This has really just put things into perspective on why there's just so much African influence in our culture. Yeah, dude, I learned quite a bit that I wanted to share about and that I hadn't previously known before watching Black and Latin America. So some of the things that I learned were Hispaniola was the first place in the New World to import Africans as slaves. And for those of you who don't know, Hispaniola is the name of the island that inhabits both Haiti and Dominican Republic. 90% of Dominicans are Afro-descendants. And B, did you know that at its peak, Lima was 30 to 40% Black? <laughs> no, I had no idea. Honestly, when I think of Peru, I think of Incan culture and just Incan civilization contributions to the world. Dude, as most people do. And not only that, Peru is one of the few countries to formally apologize to its Black citizens for historic racial discrimination starting in colonialism. When did this happen? It happened in 2009. Women's and Social Development Minister uh, Nidia Vilches, and I'm sorry if I completely destroyed that, uh, said the government wanted the apology to promote the, quote, true integration of all Peru's multicultural population, end quote. The fact that I didn't know about any of these important events in history goes to show the lack of representation our Afro-Latinx communities have, not only in Latin America and the Caribbean, but in the United States as well. Exactly. Which got me to thinking about the lack of representation of Afro-Latinx in mainstream media. It's twofold in terms of like mainstream media. So if we're talking about like Spanish language media, we still very much so are not a part of the conversation because it still kind of falls in line for being the help or being a criminal. We've seen, I think, earlier this year was crazy how, you know, there were two incidents of blackface um, that were on, like, on our, like, channels and not necessarily in the States, but, again, in Latin America. And so it's still an issue, like, they... They will do like blackface, but will you see someone that is a reporter or someone that is like doing great work in the community that's featured? Um, probably not because again, we still have this very um, limited, or at least there's a very limited view of Afro-Latinidad in Spanish language. Um, it's really a form of erasure to be quite frank. We see what's happening now with news of the caravan and how, you know, Latinos in general are portrayed in this country. Then you add the added layer of like blackness to it, which is part of Latinidad. And there seems to be a lot of confusion about like, what is this identity? What is it here? And while we are seeing a heightened amount of visibility in terms of like Afro-Latinas and Afro-Latinos, because we've seen, um, you know, I always have to mention Amara because 
This conversation and people fighting for visibility has been a decades-long journey. It's only until recently Afro-Latinx folks have gained some mainstream traction. The decades-long work of Black Latinx activists for recognition, cultural preservation, economic equity has really led to this time of heightened visibility. I think something important I learned is that these conversations on Afro-Latinidad in the U.S. often enter on affirming this group's identity, but the Afro-Latinx community is pushing more than just identity. They're pushing this movement or this narrative away from identity, but towards having cultural and socioeconomic and political Mm -hmm. growth. So it's not just about making a statement on identity, but it's pushing for representation in our societal spheres. Yeah, exactly. There is an abundance of Afro-Latinx folk that have influenced American culture. Here are some of the most renowned for those of y'all that forgot. Do you remember someone by the name of Celia Cruz? (laughs) Do I remember? Girl. For those of you who don't know, she was totally all up in my life and she is still really good influence, like a huge influence in my life. She was an Afro-Cuban salsa singer and she was actually recognized by President Clinton who awarded her National Medal of the Arts in 1994. I mean, shit, I still listen to her all the time. I don't know about you, but... Girl, <laughs> I'll say every day. It doesn't even have to be at family parties, girl. I'll be at work just dancing on to Celia. Unapologetically... At every single party I go to in D.C. Yes. <laughs> azuka, azuka. Uh, someone else would be a Haitian-American artist with roots that are also linked to Puerto Rico. His name is Jean-Michel Basquiat. Um, he's from New York, or he was from New York. And his art focused uh, on suggested dichotomies, like integration versus segregation and wealth versus poverty, etc., Post-death in 2017, a painting of his that he made in 1982 depicting a skull um, named Untitled uh, set a new record high for any American artist at an auction selling at $110 million. That is a GDP of a small country. Dude, (laughs) dude. And to think he got his start creating graffiti in the Lower East Side of Manhattan. Girl, anything is possible. Yes. So to move on, there are a couple of people that I wanted to highlight from Miami. They're twin sisters, Yvette and Yvonne Rodriguez. And it's probably a name that you guys might not recognize if you aren't from Miami. They're Afro-Latinas that are making strides in the tobacco industry. And them, along with a local attorney, uh, Yoel Molina, created this group called Afro-Latino Professionals. And in this Miami Herald article, Yvette states, quote, We exist. We are doctors, business owners, accountants, journalists, educators, writers, artists. We are here. End quote. That could not be more on point with what this podcast is about, no. Mm-hmm. Not only did she create this group, her and her sister Yvonne have successfully integrated themselves as Afro-Cuban entrepreneurs who are striving in the Miami industry, dude. Hell yeah, 305 represent. Yeah, man. So do you want to talk about some more recent history, B? Yeah, so in most recent history, some people that I can think of from the top of my head um, making strides or bringing this representation of Afro-Latinx culture to the mainstream um, are the people, folks from the Insecure cast, actually. Yes. One of my favorite shows. Shout Dude. out to Issa. 
um, and her amazing cast. Like, she has Serenus Jackson on, who's Dro. He's Afro-Panamanian. Um, Yolan Noel, who plays Daniel King, is Afro-Panamanian. Dude, girl. Like, mm Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, Miguel, he's Afro-Mexicano, yes. white class, he's Haitian-American. Our girl, Cardi B. Oh, yes. <laughs> She's Dominican and Trini. And people have been quick to criticize her for not explicit, explicitly stating her blackness or simply um, disregard her roots. But as Cardi B will tell you, straight up like she is black and displays a very confident assurance when it comes to being an afro-latina yes queen get it watch out haters watch out afro-latinx identity is rarely recognized in many areas of u.s culture two afro-latinx scholars i found juan flotis and miriam jimenez roman stated in the journal latin american and caribbean ethnic studies that the groups meaning black and latinx are represented as adversarial and mutually exclusive, either you are Latino or you are Black. Oftentimes, celebrations of Black History Month follow this paradigm without recognizing Afro-Latinx people as foundational to Black history and Black culture. So the lack of Afro-Latinx representation in history books, entertainment, and media has left many Afro-Latinx people not seeing themselves in any part of history and mainstream society. Yeah, I mean, like we mentioned before, Kathy, like the last few years, we've seen a huge rise in like Afro-Latinx visibility in the U.S. with artists, actors, and everyday Afro-Latinx people taking to social media to talk about how their Black and Latinx identities are not separate and discuss the discrimination that they face from both communities as a result. I know this is a little cliche, but thinking of Cardi B and Amara La Negra, who are some of the Afro-Latinx women out there just speaking about their identities and all the complexities that come with it. For those of you who might not know Amara La Negra, she hails from the county of Dade, the 305. Hey, the 305! Just say. <laughs> Um, but she got her start on a popular show. I think it's like Love and Hip Hop or something like that. Mm-hmm. And she used that as a platform to kind of give people the more of an awareness of like identity. No, Afro Latinx people can identify as more than one. One yeah. thing they can be Latinx, they can be Black, they can be whatever it is that they feel like being. Just circling back to this whole issue of identity and like not having. I, I'm not a big fan of boxes. I am not. I hate boxes. I always find a way to get outside of that box. So she try or she has been setting the stage or setting the table and creating this platform for Afro-Latinx people or Afro- Afro-Latinx women in the forefront. And like she's been making some damn big strides. Something really interesting that she said that really kind of, you know, caught my attention was... Um, something she said in an interview for the Huffington Post. She said, I think it's unfortunate that there's so many talented Afro-Latinos all around the world, but we're not given the same opportunities based off the way that we look. It's not that we're not talented. It's not that we're not educated. They just don't consider that we have what they consider to be the Latino look. End quote. Exactly, dude. She, she hit the nail on the head. Let's talk about history for a bit, B. Afro-Latinx people are embedded in the U- in U.S. history, but they don't get recognition. Again, they are grouped with the larger African-American population in the United States. I mean, yeah, we kind of mentioned this briefly already, how they're not really seen um, differently or kind of given that credibility. 
um, within the Black community in the United States. Here's a fun fact. Did you know that Afro-Latinx communities are responsible for establishing what is currently the country's second largest city, Los Angeles? Dude, really? Mm-hmm. In 1781, there are 44 settlers that arrived in present-day L.A. from Mexico. And according to the California Historical Society, more than half of them were Mexicans of African descent. Damn. Okay. American history for you. It's what's left out of the books. Right? Exactly. What's erased? What's diluted? So history books also fail to mention something else. The story of an Afro-Puerto Rican woman, Felicitas Mendez, who helped fight segregation in school seven years, seven, before Brown versus Board of Education ended legal segregation in the U.S., uh, the case was Mendez versus Westminster, when it helped end segregation in California school districts. Mm-hmm. There's also Juliana Patch. She's a social media manager for The Fader and creator of hashtag Black Latinx History on Twitter. Thinks that learning about the historical contributions of Black Latinx figures can help people who identify as Afro-Latinx not only broaden their sense of history, but acknowledge the nuances of their own identity regardless of how they identify. Um, She was quoted saying, I think it would open people's minds to how vast and important the diaspora is and how important it is to consider how blackness exists in the diaspora in different places. I feel like it would help everyone understand their own identity, not just Latinos, but black people in general. End quote. Yeah, though... It's important for Afro-Latinx brothers and sisters to make strides and change the narrative. It's also up to all of us in the spirit of bridging divides and connecting POC from different walks of life. White Latinx folks need to become stronger allies and honestly check our privilege. While there needs to be that acknowledgement of like we're not a monolith, I think it's also very important and it's something that I think will be the hardest for people um, within our community of privilege who most likely will be white Latinos. Um, they need to acknowledge the fact that they have, or they use, they benefit from white supremacy mm-hmm. and they also have a role in it and continuing um, the forms of oppression that exist. And so, yeah, you're going to have to check yourself. You're going to have to say, you know yep. what, I am a white Latinx, so I benefit from white supremacy and I benefit from white, white privilege, even if it looks differently amongst white Americans, it, does, it doesn't look different when you're amongst your own. And so if you have privilege, it's your, it's your responsibility to disarm that and to use your privilege for good in a sense if you can mm. while Preach. So acknowledge that you have that, you know, right? Like acknowledge you have that. And then also yeah. um, maybe you can be an ally because sometimes I've seen this so many times on, and I'll use Twitter and I reference Twitter a lot, but like I'll be on my timeline and I'll see someone that is like a phenomenal, like Afro-Latinx person drop mm-hmm. knowledge and then someone that is either fair-skinned or a white Latinx say something very similar, and you could even tell by the amount of retweets and likes that that person gets. So it's like better. It's like people will sadly listen more so to the white Latinx person saying it, even That's though so the thought came from 
yeah, even though the thought came from Black Latinx, but it's like that's how sadly this world operates. And so if you have that loving privilege, you know, obviously it doesn't mean to co-opt people's um, identities or their narrative because like, you need to let people of that community straight up own that and not come yeah. in and try to take it, but you can be an ally. You can really support exactly. them by using your privilege. And so I think it's going to be a combination of things where people that have privilege in our community are going to have to check it and be true allies. And if people are not yeah. willing to do that, then I don't really foresee any shift. So I want to take a second to get real. In my experience growing up in Miami, I saw the tendency for Latin American and Caribbean people to be overtly racist and discriminatory and completely, dude, and be completely unapologetic about it. Get this. We have blackface featured in TV and in theater in Miami. That's just so ridiculous to me. I mean, in a place where 70% of people are foreign born, in a place where we're all basically considered the other, it's just mind-boggling to me that the Latinx community continues to further marginalize each other. And I even remember seeing this stuff on TV growing up. I know, bro. Que pena. A couple of examples are uh, Tres Viudas en un Crucero was this play that featured blackface in Miami, and that translates to Three Widows on a Cruise. According to the Miami Herald article that I recently read, uh, they got rid of the blackface for from the play after con- controversy, obviously. So they changed around some of the roles and like some of the script, and they they put that to bed like if it didn't happen. And then another example would be Mega TV. First of all, I have to say it. I know. I think you know what I'm gonna say, but mm. <laughs> Mega TV so fucking gross. They sexual, yeah, dude. <laughs> they sexualize and undermine women, and not only that, they feature blackface on there like it's something of the norm. One of its main characters, I don't know if you remember seeing him growing up, B, but his name was Yeo Vargas. Um, he sports blackface while on television, or at least he did. Thankfully, he's no longer on air. However, I do remember watching him on screens as people were eating their dinners in front of TV after work. Like, I remember going to my cousin's houses and, like, I would see my uncle sitting in front of the TV as, like, our cousins, like, our female cousins were setting the table for my uncle. And, and oh. he he was watching, you know, Mega TV with blackface on it and, like, women in bikinis just dancing around. It's just not happening in Miami. It's all over Latin America and the Caribbean. However... There are strides that some organizations are making in order to fight and change this as our cultural norm. Yeah, like LUNDU, L-U-N-D-U, an organization in Peru who fought to get Negro Mama off air, a racist depiction of Afro-Peruvians with blackface. Today's Cocodazo goes to, and you guessed it, Mega TV for consistently having blackface on television. What the fuck? Actually, Cocodazo to all those media groups who are allowing blackface on their spaces, openly ignoring and denying racism and ignorance. You're perpetuating this toxic narrative and false depiction of Afro-Latinx people and culture. Cocodazo to you and your mama. 
It's important to highlight and bring attention to spaces created to honor and unite Afro-Latinos. Miami actually held its first Afro-Latino Heritage Excellence Summit earlier this year. The summit highlighted the accomplishments of Black Latinos in media, activism, education, and the arts. We are at a place where I think our demographic, millennials in particular, Latinx millennials, are creating the spaces that they want to see, whether it's digitally. I think since the Tumblr age, the Tumblr ages, like a lot of um, particularly Latinx women, I know a lot of Black Black Latinas have um, done that for, you know, for a long time. Um, but in terms of, like, the in-person spaces, absolutely, I feel like there's definitely um, spaces. I know one in particular that I enjoy and look forward to every year is the Afro-Latino Festival. Um, it's literally, like, a big, big deal, and most, like, Afro-Latinxes, like, travel for it, and it's um, cool. in New York City in July. Yeah, like, they have always an amazing lineup. So we, we've talked a lot about Afro-Latinx folk in the U.S. I think we should highlight Afro-Latinx communities and our parents' countries of origin and Nicaragua and Honduras. Hey. So just a brief history lesson. Um, I'm going to talk about the Gurifunas. They are a mixed community of African slaves and local Caribbean natives. They originated with the arrival of West African slaves whose ship was washed ashore in St. Vincent and the Grenadines around 1635. The global population of Garifunas right now is estimated to be over 300K, with 250,000 of those people located in Honduras. The Garifuna communities along the Caribbean Sea live primarily along coastal towns and villages in Belize, Guatemala, Honduras, and Nicaragua. So in both uh, Nicaragua and Honduras, Garifunas have become relatively marginalized and suffer discrimination from other people in the region. And the major issue really goes back to land rights. As per classic um, Latin American history, um, (laughs) land conflicts have occurred regularly in societies for centuries in Latin America. Um, Access to land plays a huge role in reducing rural poverty and remains an important political and policy issue in the region. Most Afro-descendant communities in Latin America are still heavily reliant on access to land for their cultural, economic, environmental, and social security. In recent years, these communities have asserted collective claim to the lands they have inhabited since the colonial era, pressuring their own national governments to provide them a formal title. So land rights are, you know, strictly tied to really the preservation of their culture and way of living. They use subsistent ecological farming. They use their land as a form of spirituality for their ceremonial life. Um, Their lands have been taken away by government for tourism and transnational organized groups have also made use of some of their spaces. Like these land grabs honestly post a huge threat to their human rights and government impunity and corruption doesn't help their situation. Okay, I just want to take a second to highlight the Garifuna community in Honduras. They lead one of the most successful Afro-descendant land right movements in Latin America. As part of their political mobilization, they have affirmed their racial and ethnic identity to strengthen their collective territorial claims. 
They have successfully politicized and linked identity and land and forced the Honduran government to recognize this linkage too. Hell yeah to Garifuna in Honduras! So we've just touched the tip of the iceberg highlighting our Afro-Latinx brothers and sisters, their challenges, their accomplishments, and their significance to Latinx and even American culture. So B, what's our call to action? All right. So as white Latinx, check your privilege and become better allies. I'm talking to myself, talking to you, I'm talking to your mom. I'm talking to your uncle. Continue to, t- <laughs> continue to educate ourselves and highlight those who are making a difference now, seeing them with multiple identities and honoring as such. And most importantly, calling people out. Have these hard, informed, open conversations with your families and friends, especially during the holiday season. If somebody mm-hmm. says something that is out of line, check them. Check abuela, check tío. Okay, I don't care what generation they come from. Seriously. They gotta get woke. They gotta get with it. Thanks so much for listening to our third episode, Big Three. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Follow us on Instagram at Estoyaki Podcast. Don't forget to read us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Stay tuned for our next episode dropping in two weeks. Yeah. And we'd also like to highlight and thank Lilo Sanchez, who's an Afro-Panamanian musician. He does solo work as well as his work with one of my personal faves, Senor Loop. His song, Cantanga, is what we use for our intro, and we'll play the full song at the end of the episode. So stay tuned. For those of you who haven't checked out either of those artists, please check them out on Spotify. This episode was also made possible by Maria Wartel, our producer extraordinaire. And by all of you, besitos. Besitos, y'all. Stay tuned for the next one. No sé, no sé.